Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. In the church world, and it depends kind of where you come from, in the church world there's this term that's used over and over again, and the word is discipleship. If you're in the church world, you've heard it thrown around often. You'll hear Bible studies are discipleship. You'll hear coffee meetings are discipleship. You'll hear that going to church on Sunday discipleship. There's so many broad, awesome, wide terms that come into the word of discipleship. If you're new to the church world or starting to explore things, you hear the word disciple and you think, okay, that totally makes sense because Jesus had disciples. There were 12 of them. And at the end, there was 11, but there were disciples of Jesus, which means these were people 2,000 years ago that followed Jesus. That's a disciple. And then you get this odd mix of all of us coming together in the American church, and we start to sit down and ask the question, well, what is it in the year 2021? Discipleship, it's really been the hottest topic of all Christian literature in the last 20 years. Major debate. In fact, before I was the lead pastor of Mosaic, I was a discipleship pastor. And as a discipleship pastor, I had no idea what my job meant. I had to explore for myself. I had to go to conferences because this big thing started happening inside the church world. They said, okay, discipleship is the key thing that the church needs to do, but we have no idea what it means. So here I am as a discipleship pastor discipling people, but I didn't know what it meant. Does it mean that I take you like Jesus took 11 or 12 people to have you follow me around, live in my house, eat with me, be with me, and if it was Jewish times, you'd be 13 years old, so that'd be super creepy. We can't do that anymore. But you would follow me around and learn what life is like. Or is discipleship another really good Bible study? The newest one that comes out, the newest big author puts a Bible study out and they have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and youth Bible studies and people with pets Bible studies and people who are over here and live on this side of the county Bible studies. And we start to have all these Bible studies and say, this is discipleship. And then there's this other thought. Sunday mornings are discipleship. So Sunday morning, are, we come together, we gather, we sing, we worship God, we hear a word from the scriptures, and then now we engage this, and this is discipleship, and then the rest of my week I go on my way. All these thoughts started to come together about 20 years ago, and we asked the question, not me, we, the overall arching, what is discipleship? Because discipleship, for whatever reason, was leaving us in a place where we said Sunday gatherings are the most important thing you do, and we wanted to build large churches with lots of activities and lots of programs. But at the end of the day, the American church was declining. People stopped going to church. People found Sundays as optional. There were soccer tournaments and volleyball tournaments and softball. Now, like, there's no sacred day. Sundays aren't sacred. Wednesdays used to be a special day. Wednesdays was youth group night, right? So Wednesdays was set apart even from the school district to say, this night set apart for people to have family and religious activities that day's gone. So what's going on? What is discipleship? The term disciple 
was very common in the time of Jesus. So let's go back 2,000 years to not a Western American way of living. We're going to go 2,000 years back to an Eastern way of living. And for Jesus, that was a very common. Rabbis or teachers, if you've heard that term before, rabbis were teachers. And so the rabbis would take pupils or disciples with them who would, like I said, they'd live with them and they would study. And the actual way that that rabbi lived, what that rabbi liked, what that rabbi thought was then taught to his disciples. And during Jesus' culture, rabbis were a big, big deal. They were highly sought after. They were well honored. They were like the top of their community, much like pastors in our community now. Absolutely not. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. You've given me nothing. I know you are. <laughs> but seriously, they would actually live and follow and get to understand what it means. And so come a Greek word that means learner. Someone who is a disciple is someone who's trying to learn and understand what does it mean that this rabbi is teaching us. So when Jesus says he has disciples, Jesus is taking people with him, and that's where we look, jump into the scriptures. Jesus wasn't the first rabbi. He was a long line of rabbis that he was teaching and taking these people and saying, okay, we're going to teach you what it means to be like me. So Jesus had disciples. There's a novel called The Terran Wanderer, and Terran is an orphan who doesn't know what his heritage is. And so he sets out on this quest to discover who he is. And during this time, he becomes apprentices of different trades. He's trying to find out in this book, how am I made and what's my purpose for life? And so he becomes an apprentice of different trades. At the end, he learns to be at peace with who he is rather than striving to be something he's not. And he puts it as this. As for my parentage, it makes little difference. True kinship has nothing not to do with bloodlines, however strong they may be. We hear this, and it's like an odd English tongue, but let me just translate that for you. It doesn't matter what bloodline I come from. What I do say is that there's something else out there. My purpose is something greater than the family I was born from. Now we're going to take that and transfer back 2,000 years. In Jesus' day, he would look for disciples. The rabbis would look for disciples. They were young, usually very, very young. In fact, they didn't become a disciple until about the age of 13, these very, very young boys at that time, boys only, the women were not allowed to learn from Torah the same way as boys. They would start reading the first five books of the Bible, and they would take that and actually learn all about culture and about their story and their history. They learned arithmetic and how to add. Everything was through the first five books of the Bible. And so they began at a very young age. And by the age of 13, when they became men, that's the, the time of, for us, would be 18 for them, 13. When they became men. They would become men, and at that time, a rabbi would look throughout the schools of the best, of the best, of the best, of the best. You had to be one of the best, brightest, most upcoming student pupil of the entire area, and that they would stand in line. The rabbi would go down the line, and he would ask questions of them. Now, these are the best of the best. You're invited to this line. He would ask questions that were hard and difficult, and he would then select those who got to follow him. And there was a Huge celebration. So if your son was selected as one of the pupils of, of the rabbi, let's just equate that to an American, your son is the starting quarterback for the high school football team, okay? It was a big deal. So you were now a big deal in the community. There was honor upon the family. And then this disciple would follow until the age of 30. 
from 13 to 30, you would follow a, a rabbi and you would learn. At that time, you would become your own rabbi. And when you become your own rabbi, then you repeat the process to go back and find those who were to follow you, and the process would continue. You're passing on the lineage of that was given to you before you, and the lineage now is your purpose. Though there was great honor in the bloodline and great things were uh, honor was given to the family through becoming a disciple, the honor really came, you got to be the voice of God to help lead another generation into the teachings of God. So the rabbi not only taught his disciples, he would be the one teaching the community. And so what the rabbi said went. They held great power, great strength in their community. So is that discipleship? Is discipleship, we go back 2,000 years, and you follow me around. i got to ask my wife. I don't think we have enough room. But I don't honestly think that's going to work in the year 2000. And in the 2000s, we started to process that again 20 years ago. What does it mean? What does it mean in our time, in our frame? Because we read in the book of Matthew 28 that Jesus, when he's about to ascend into heaven, says, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have taught you. He's telling them, you now go and you make disciples. You are now, quote unquote, rabbis. But this was a different movement of rabbi because it wasn't a rabbinic movement. It was a movement of these men who are now taking on what Jesus had taught them, which was greater than what the rabbis were teaching. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to throw away the Old Testament. I came to complete or fulfill the Old Testament. So now there's a new thing I'm teaching you. You go and tell others about this. Make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Okay. So they start doing that, and all of a sudden you're sitting here because they did that. Somewhere along the line, the word discipleship, we lost it. Somewhere along the line, and we'll just speak of Western American culture, discipleship began about information. And so now the more information I have, the better disciple of Jesus I have. I've seen people literally, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I've watched people walk in and start quoting every Bible verse in the world, which is great. You can quote Bible verses, that's awesome. Like, quote away, right? But at the same time, act like a total, uh, what's a nice word for it? Not, not, not nice person. As he's walking out the door. I have watched people serve in the church and at the same time be abusive to their spouse. I've watched all the outward appearance of a disciple, but the inward actions of what was happening didn't match up with the outward, but they had great knowledge, but their actions didn't stick with it. And we would say in an American church, we wouldn't see that part. We'd just see the knowledge and say, oh, you got to follow that guy. In fact, I've seen people so obsessed with men and women who can quote scripture, read Bible verses, and that they allow them to the place of a rabbi because they know so much without actually knowing if there's character. Are they really who that they say that they are? Now, that's hard. Because how do you know when you see somebody for an hour a week? Henceforth, why disciples lived with their rabbi. When disciples lived with their rabbi, they could see what was going on in and out. He would see the rabbi have problems. He'd see the rabbi fix great things. He'd see the rabbi work through hard questions. He'd see the rabbi in a not good mood. The disciple would learn everything and see everything because it was real. Somewhere along the line, the American church has become plastic. So let me just say, y'all nod, so I know I'm going to get some amens right now. This is what happens. We walk into a building, 
And somewhere along the line, this is not mosaic. Okay, we'll just say that. It is. We come along the line. You feel like you've got to put your plastic face on because you want to smile and make sure everyone thinks you're okay. And so you come to the church and say, this is a place where I have to act like everything's together because this is a place where everything's together. Um, It's not, so just so you know that. But then you come in, you walk in, and you sing songs, and you smile, and you shake hands, and you go on your way, and you walk away broken. Somewhere along the line, that became what we were calling discipleship. But there's a new movement actually happening, not just at Mosaic, it's happening across the country, of we're going back 2,000 years. We're going back to the time when Jesus started to call his disciples and said, hey, discipleship is not Sunday gathering attendance. Sunday gatherings are fantastic. I love this. It's my favorite thing to do. I love speaking. Don't hear me that this is a negative. This is a positive. But if this is it, we are not actually doing what Jesus told you to do. And so we're going to look back today in a scripture in Matthew 4, 18 through 20, where Jesus calls one of his first disciples. So if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew 4, uh, verses 18 to 22. If you have your Bible apps or using your iPhones or iPads, we have a brand new Wi-Fi for you called Mosaic Guest. Uh, There's no password for it. Uh, Thanks to our team for getting that set this week. Uh, So you guys actually can have Wi-Fi here. It's the small things at a church plant. But if you need to jump onto that, you can use that. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. And this is when he actually calls some of his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. They left, at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus really likes fishermen. That's cool, because I like to fish. So, he goes along this lakeside, and oftentimes when we read scriptures, depending on your interaction with the word, it can seem very far away something that doesn't really make sense. So let's bring it into real-time, real picture. There's a lake here, and there's all these men. Now, the lake would be a lot of movement. These aren't the only fishermen in Galilee. So all these men are out there fishing, and you'd have markets and people selling fish, and there'd be noise, and it would be hot. It's in the east. And so there's lots of things happening, and Jesus is walking along this lake, and he sees these two brothers there. Now, these brothers are there because they did not get picked by a rabbi. They failed. They're past the age of being picked. They were passed on. And so when a young man was passed on, he would then move on to his father's trade. Interesting enough, we see that in the boat, we got the sons of Zebedee. They're doing their father's trade. So the father then would disciple and pass on his trade. If you remember Jesus' story, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And sometimes we forget that fact that Jesus was carpeting. So he could make some mean chairs and tables, right? Because you would learn from your father. But then Jesus had a greater calling to actually go and be a rabbi himself in terms. And so now we see Jesus walk along these men. Comes alongside of them. He says, hey guys, uh, why don't you follow me? And I love the wordplay here. I'm going to take what you're doing, but it's going to be greater. I'm going to have you actually not fish for fish. Your life will be to go out and catch humans. And now, I don't never had that approach, but if I went to Walmart and say, hey, sir, um, I love that you're buying some amazing products right now, but w- if you follow me, you can have the product of saving people. Like, I don't know how that would work in our term and our days, 
But here Jesus says this to these young men. In all of our videos, we see this as old men with big beards. They're all white, and they're like all older than Jesus. None of that makes sense because they would have been younger men with their father still doing their trade. So their father was there, and we look through the history of the scriptures that Peter was most likely the oldest, but the average age of disciples thought to be around 15 years old. So Jesus now entrusts 15-year-olds with your salvation. Awesome. So Jesus is going along with these young men, and these young men, Jesus had already started teaching, and so he's not an unknown person, but he wasn't in the same line of rabbis. So there was this weird thing happening inside of the culture because he wasn't a Jewish rabbi. He had come out and started teaching, and everyone's amazed that he would teach this way. And so he goes to the rejects of all of the disciples and says, I want the rejects. And so think about this, the honor and the gift and the praise that it is to follow a rabbi. You're already rejected. This Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And they like threw their nets and gone. Like, thanks for fishing, Dad, I'm gone. And they just take off. They didn't say, you know, ah, let me check my calendar. I'm available on Sundays. Are you available on Sunday? Oh, wait, Saturdays, because you're Jewish. Are you available on Saturdays, Jesus, because that's the holy day? I don't have time during the rest of the week. I'm really busy because I've got a lot to do. I still have to go to synagogue. I still have to go through all of the cleansing. I still have to go through all of these things. And my dad's going to be really mad because I've got to help him catch fish. What's going to happen to my family? We start to get this laundry list of things. These men didn't do that. They saw what an honor to follow the rabbi, dropped everything and left and followed him. And they're walking. So think about this conversation, right? Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They're walking. They're like, what in the world does that mean? Who, like, what did we just get ourselves into? These are real humans. Let's stop making them some non, like, like made-up fictional character. These are real men in a real time at a real place in history. And so they're walking along with Jesus. They're young men. They're, you know they're talking because as we read through the scriptures, they're always jibber-jabbering with each other. So they're jibber-jabbering with each other, and they keep walking, and now Jesus stops at another boat, and he sees James, and he sees John. He sees the, his father in the boat. He says, hey, you two, come follow me. Okay. And now the dad's like, wait, what's going on? So they leave the dad. They leave the boat. They follow him. Now you've got four young men following Jesus around, gibbering, chattering. Like, okay, what's this all about? What just happened? Like, imagine the superstar of the community just stopped and said, follow me. I have something for you. Think of the excitement, the adrenaline. Think about what it would be like inside of their minds to say, we were selected by somebody. We were rejected, but why does he want us? We're just fishermen. Why would he want us? I'm a nobody. Does he not know how this system works? Was he too busy building chairs to realize that the system of rabbis that we rejected, none of that is stated in the scriptures, but you can imagine what's going through their mind. We're filling in story, right? Fill in the story of what it was like at the beginning of his ministry to be called out to be followed. In the book Rediscovering Discipleship by Robbie Gallaty, he describes disciples through this lens of Eastern culture. These young men who were 13, anywhere from 13 to 20, depending on that, were picked. And most of Jesus' disciples were past that or around that, but they were rejected. When Jesus picked them, he went and looked not for the ones who had it all together and had all the knowledge. Instead, he picked people that he saw something in that no one else saw. 
If you don't know anything about the Lord, let me encourage you today. Jesus isn't looking for the people who have it all together. Because if you don't know this, none of you do. I don't have it together. We don't have it all together. But there's something about a heart issue that God is always talking about. And so at the heart issue of these young men, he saw something that these young men, they were young, they're immature, they're full of mistakes, and they didn't follow Jesus for 15 to 17 years. They followed him three years. And then Jesus says, as he's, he's going to ascend into heaven, hey, I've got everything in the world, I'm handing it all to you, go and make disciples, baptize them and teach them everything I've taught you. Now the Bible doesn't say what's said next. So here, I'm going to fill in my story. Who, us? <laughs> like, we're supposed to do this? Can you imagine the tension of what that was like as these young men are watching their Savior rise into the crowd, knowing the, the levity, how heavy, the, are they laughing, are they scared, are they sad? There's a lot all happening at once. And if these 11 young men would have just gone back to the synagogue, would you be sitting here? 2,000 years ago, teenagers made the choice to follow the master and obey him. And we're here because of it. Let me ask another question. In 2,000 years, will somebody still be speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ because of your discipleship? Or is it going to end? We wonder why the American church is starting to decline. We wonder and ask the question, what is happening in our culture? Why is morality failing? Why does it feel like everything's falling apart? What happened to our family structure? And we go on and on and on. Let me ask the question, are we really disciples of Jesus Christ anymore? And are you discipling people of what he taught in the scriptures to be able to go and replicate into the world? And I know what you're thinking because I've... We've gone through this. We do discipleship training all the time. I don't know enough. Neither did they. They were Jewish young men who just learned about something completely countercultural from their Jewish upbringing, that the Messiah has completed everything, and they're teaching that now we worship this guy we were just with. He was the Savior. So now we have to tell the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save all this. That was a completely new thing. And these young men said, we'll do it because we saw it. We know it's real. We walked with them for three years. We know Jesus is legit. We ate with them. We slept with them. We drank with them. We walked and talked. We went to places. And I saw people make fun of him. And I saw people hate him. And I saw him love. And I saw him do all these things. He is legit. I'll give my life to that. Maybe. Maybe. Why we're struggling as an American culture and why we're struggling just within the church confines, is that we haven't given our life to it because we really haven't experienced him that way yet. If you're coming to a Sunday gathering and walking out and nothing is transforming or nothing is changing, there's no influence in your life, if things aren't starting to be transformed inside of you, I can understand that. I understand. I, I don't see any transformation. My question is, are you being discipled? If you are being transformed and you're holding it to yourself, I'm like, why are you holding this good news to yourself? Jesus told you whether you're introverted or extroverted, life of the party, you're sitting in the corner. It doesn't matter how God made you. This isn't an extrovert thing. This is a you have a command to go make disciples because lives for eternity are at stake. That's the gospel. And so when Jesus selected them, think of who they were. They're nobodies. Back to our passage. I'm going to go back to verse 19. Just listen to this again through this new lens that we have. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at 
once. They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Note this in their ministry. He doesn't tell them that they're going to learn a lot. He tells them he's going to put them on mission. Don't run past that because in our culture, that's a hard thing to understand. He didn't say, come follow me, I'm going to teach you a lot, which he did. He says, come follow me, and I'm going to give you a purpose for life. I'm going to give you a trade. I'm going to give you a future. I'm going to give you something that you can't even imagine. You are catching fish, and we need food to be alive. You are going to have food for eternal life. Follow me, and you will have a greater calling than you can ever imagine in your life. And we're here today because of that. So when we talk about church, we talk discipleship. Is it learning? Is it mission? Is it going? Yes. The problem is that we have separated each of our elements into these little compartments because we love compartments. We love boxes. If I do this, if I learn, or if I go and do, or if I go and share my faith, we call that evangelism is the church word for that. I'm not an evangelist. No, good, because don't go on TV. But evangelist, I'm a kid of the 80s. You know what I'm saying. So you've got evangelists. You've got pastors. You have, I'm a just a congregant. We give all these terms and all these things. So at Mosaic Church, we wipe all of that out and we say, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, period. Amen. I'm just as meth as you are. I just paid a lot of money at school to learn stuff, right? <laughs> but we're on mission. We all have the same mission. Just because I'm on a stage talking does not change the mission that you and I have. We are all called to go become a disciple and make disciples. It is that plain. We're here to learn, and we're here to do. Disciples learn, disciples do. Disciples learn more, they do more. The closer you are to the master, the more you have to give away. It's a constant flow of what God's giving in your life. You joyfully give it away to somebody else. But the big question remains, what exactly is discipleship, and why in the world is it so hard why is it so hard for us to even think through this? Where is the rub? Because this is a great, hopefully you're getting encouraged, like, let's go. But then reality is going to hit. You're going to open up your phone. You're going to scroll through Facebook. You're going to see a bunch of feeds with people of all different opinions. Name the topic. We're fighting about it, right? It doesn't matter anymore. And then so we take all this and say, how am I supposed to be a disciple in the year 2021? With everything going on, all the different movements, so much anger, so much animosity. Even among churches, animosity, fighting, all this stuff. What is going on with our world? And I want to take it all the way back. It all begins with your worldview. If you're not familiar with the world word, word, <laughs> worldview, uh, easy to say. It's what shapes your physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual interaction with the world. Let me say that again. Your worldview affects your physical, your emotional, your intellectual, and your spiritual dimensions inside of how you interact with the world. Every single one of you have a worldview. I don't care what age you are, you have a worldview. Because your belief system and your worldview takes it through a lens that you see everything through. If you grew up in poverty and you grew up on welfare, and you then at, later in life have gained money, 
but yet you still are very, fu- uh, very fugal, <laughs> frugal. I can say we're bleh, frugal. And you start to say that's shaping the way I see money because I grew up in poverty. That's shaping your worldview. Because now you interact with the world and say, because I know what it's like to have little, I'm going to change the way I live. Everything with you've experienced, you've gone through, you've learned, those who've influenced you, all of that comes together to build your worldview. So my question to you, if you've never thought about this, what influences your worldview? Check out this video. So everybody has a worldview. Cabbages and puppies don't think about stuff. We do. And what's influencing the way you see the world around you is what you're allowing into your world. When you think about it, currently there are three groups of people inside of this room most likely right now. One, like, hey, I agree with the lady, the biblical worldview. I take everything through the lens of Scripture. I look at how that relates. I totally understand what she's saying. Some of you relate with the guy. Look, science, prove it. It's got to be science. There's nothing other than that. He goes through his methodology. But the majority of you are both. It has been proven that a biblical worldview no longer is the prevalent way of thinking. It is an afterthought that's blended into a combination of multiple worldviews in which you can say, I like this side of the Bible, but I don't like that. I like when God loves me, but I don't like when he punishes me. I like this part over here, that part over there. I'm going to push it together and call it my worldview and call myself a disciple. No rabbi would have you. No rabbi would allow that. The rabbi would say, there's one worldview. It's my worldview. And if you are to follow me, you must learn what I'm teaching you. And so the living together was to shape and build the worldview for the disciples. When Jesus came, he says, drop everything and follow me. I love this idea of dropping everything because the disciples would have to basically wipe out everything they've learned their entire life. To rethink what Jesus was telling them, which was not throwing away the Old Testament, it was completing the Old Testament. So Jesus now takes this whole thing full circle and says, follow me. And he actually says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. A disciple of Jesus holds a biblical worldview and does not waver from that. Now, this is pushing buttons a little bit for you. Let me share with you. It's okay. Because the American church, I apologize for us. We haven't spoken like this for a very, very long time. For a very, very long time. We became very interested in the biggest buildings with the biggest lights, with the biggest and most awesome worship team that we have the most awesome worship team. We think about what is the purpose of us gathering. It's to gather together and get this together to get you excited, to encourage you. And I'll even say right now in the American church, we're teaching and preaching not the gospel of Jesus. We're teaching a different gospel that says, if you're good, God will give you money and God's going to bless you. Just be a good person. God wants to give you everything, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to actually pick up your cross, die to yourself, and be willing to give your life for this cause. So there's a tension that's even happening in our own country in the way that we are processing church, which is this, what in the world is discipleship when we have all these different views? Here's what it is. This is Mosaic's definition of discipleship. We worked hard at this. We nuanced over every word. We wanted to make sure that we could make it clear that when you're part of the Mosaic family, 
that we are on mission for you to grow into a disciple of Jesus, that you then in turn, however God made you, would go and disciple others. And what discipleship is, well, that's a whole nother, we've got a whole five-week sermon series, so don't miss one. And Facebook, stay on too, right? But listen to this. This is our definition of discipleship. Being transformed into the characteristics and priorities of Jesus for the sake of others. Let me repeat that again. Being transformed into the characteristics and priorities of Jesus for the sake of others. It's pretty simple if you break it down. One, being transformed. You can't stay the way you are. You can't stay a fisherman. You have to drop your nets and follow him. You have to drop your way of thinking, your priorities, your life to be transformed. In the church world, it's a big word called sanctification. It means this ongoing process of as I follow the rabbi, I learn more about him, and as I'm learning more about him, I become more like him. In fact, the goal at the end of a rabbi and disciple relationship is that it would be a clone, that he would be a clone of that rabbi, and that rabbi then would add to that teaching and then add and move down to the next discipleship group. We are to be clones of Jesus Christ. That is being transformed. Anything short of being transformed and cloned to live and be like our master, we are missing the mark. Because maybe inside of us we really are afraid of being like him because we maybe think his way isn't better than our way. But in 45 years of living, I've now come to my midlife crisis and passed it. And this is what I know. Everything I thought was awesome was not awesome. All of my way of thinking was not great. The more I become like Jesus, the more the world benefits. Not only me, but my family and my friends and my community. The more loving I am, you are loved. The more sacrificial I am, the more sacrifice goes into our community. The more I'm like Jesus, it transforms the world. That's why we need to not hang on to ourselves, but be transformed. We move on to the next word, into the characteristics of Jesus. Characteristics, who was this guy? Here's just a couple of words that I'm going to give you to think about who Jesus was like. He was compassionate. He was a servant. He was loving. He was forgiving. He was committed. He was prayerful. He was gentle. He was patient. He was humble. Do anybody, I do not like any of these words. Are any of these words going to start a fight at, at American Family Field when we pay at the Cubs? No. These, this is a... Sorry, I just... The Cubs fans. Anyways, but... The truth is that there's a whole new persona that starts to take over when I'm compassionate and serving and loving and giving and prayerful and committed. I now stand out from a lot of what's happening inside of the world because I'm becoming like Jesus. But Jesus also said, hey, they're going to not like you because they didn't like me. So a disciple of Jesus actually takes on the persona of Jesus, but the world, it's going to not like you. Isn't this crazy? This is what we signed up for because it is so good. The characteristics of Jesus transform lives one by one by one. But let's go to his priorities. Who he was and what's important to him. Now, why we read the scriptures is to understand and to be under the teaching of our rabbi. But when you just even read the red letters, you're going to see some things about Jesus that are really important to him. And maybe this is new to you. I don't know about your church story. But here's some things that were really, really important to him. First of all, he always was seeking the Father. Always in prayer. 
always concerned and focused on his Father in heaven. Over and over again, he's talking about his Father and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and his Father all the time through Scripture. So he was really passionate about the way of God coming to earth. That's what we call the kingdom of God. He embraced outcasts. He hung out with the rejects. He hung out with what 99.9 American Christians would never hang out with because they're afraid you might see them there. Jesus went right into the middle of it. He's with prostitutes. He's hanging out with drunkards. He's hanging out with outcasts. He's hanging out with people completely rejected from everybody. He's hanging out with the super sick, those who had this leprosy, which is super contagious disease. He was all over the place where people were marginalized. He lived among the margin and loved them. He restored broken lives. If you feel you're too broken for Jesus, then you don't know Jesus because his favorite thing to do, in my opinion as I read the scriptures, is when broken people became found. When those who felt they had no purpose found purpose. He was very serious about sin and hypocrisy. He taught and embraced the word of God. He served and he equipped leaders to pass on to next generations. Those are just some of the priorities of Jesus. So as a disciple at Mosaic Church, we're being transformed into who he is, into what he cares about, into the last part, for the sake of others. This part can be a little bit shocking, again, as we've been processing our current culture, but what if this isn't all about you? I know that's really hard to think about. What if this isn't all about you? Let me just let this soak for a second. What, about, what if the gospel saved you for the glory of God? That all of this was about the glory of God, that your life would become a mirror that reflects back to God how awesome he is. And we keep dirtying up the mirror with all of our mess and our sin and our junk, and grace keeps cleaning it for us. And so our lives now are reflecting back to the glory of God. That our discipleship journey, what we are learning in all of your Bible studies and Sunday gatherings, all of our serving, all these great things we are doing is for the sake of others, that others may know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they become disciples and they make more disciples that make disciples. Because when I read the scriptures in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit means that they were lost and now you have a new life and now this over here. Teach them everything I've taught you. So he starts this system of discipleship that really discipleship is nothing to do about you. It's putting you on mission to be on mission for God. So if you are bored with Christianity, welcome to the first 35 years of my life. I was so bored. I would come in. I would do all the serving stuff. I'd sit and listen to good talks, nice speech pastor. I would help out. I would do all these things. I'm like, I'm just so bored. And then the adventure of I'm part of the story. Like, if I could get this inside of your head, though none of you would ever want to come up on a stage and talk, because I know it's the greatest fear of humans. Maybe some of you. But your job is to do what I do on how God made you. We're not different. I'm on a stage. You may be at your workplace. I'm on a stage. You may be in a mom's group that meets at the pool every Tuesday. I'm on a stage, but maybe your discipleship is loving your kids through the worst time of their life, showing the characteristics and priorities of Jesus for the sake of your children. Perhaps you have to model through heartbreak and struggle that you model what it means to be Jesus through catastrophe. And it's all about the glory of the Father. So discipleship, at the end of the day, isn't about us. It's about the glory of the Father. Anytime 
We put the glory on ourselves. It's about us. We have created a false god, and we're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. The only one to be worshipped is the Lord God Almighty, both here and for eternity. And our job is to get into a dark, broken world, the glory of God, so that others may be freed to make disciples, to make disciples. Friends, if you've sat for a long time in church and said, is there a purpose for me? I tell you today, you have the greatest adventure humanly possible to go and make disciples and be a part of a movement of God that is transforming our community and our world. That's our vision statement. Check it out. But on the other side of it, if you're new to this and you're like, wow, this was a lot. That was like a fire hose, Jason, of what you just shared with me. It all begins with giving your life to Jesus Christ. If you don't know him and you're sitting in a boat, I'm telling you right now he's walking by and asking you to drop your net and follow him. If you don't know him and you're like, but you don't understand my story, I'm too broke or Jesus, cool, let's get coffee and we'll see who's more jacked up, me or you. The funniest joke that I have for my high school and college friends is I cannot believe Jason Montana was a pastor. We'll just start there, okay? <laughs> Neither can I. But that's what God loves. He loves people who are broken. He loves people who have a heart that say, use me. And so now, friends, on your story of discipleship, you have purpose and you have a reason to disciple. So two questions as we close up today. One, do you even have a biblical worldview? If you don't have a biblical worldview, this whole idea of discipleship is always going to be a struggle for you. And if you have mixed things, that's where getting into community, getting into our groups, doing discipleship. I disciple a lot of people. Nick disciples. There's many people in here in disciple. If you want to sit down and have conversations, it's why we exist. The answer is yes. But I ask the question, do you need to process your worldview? Are other influences coming and changing what the rabbi is asking us to be? Secondly, are you being transformed in the characteristics and priorities of Jesus for the sake of others? Are you being transformed? Is something happening in your life that you're being transformed? Because now we look at 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, young men stood on a mountain. The master goes up. They look around. What in the world do we do now? They go back. They go back and they hide. Typical response. What do we do now? Let's not hide. I think our time in the church of hiding is over. I think our time in the church now is to love a community that is so hungry to know what God's love is like that if we simply give them a morsel of what it means to be accepted, loved, cared for, grace, mercy, all these things of God, the gospel will transform this community and the world. I believe with my whole heart. And you are part of it. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.